The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. This doesn't happen too often. We're here together at CNBC headquarters for the first time. You wouldn't believe what DNI had to do to get Carl here. <laughs> you were the one. You cut the yeah, cord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today, the Bears are out, and they're coming for tech. Why one analyst says we are still set up for a rally. Amazon uh, and the CEO plug power on that acquisition and their healthcare ambitions. Later on, Apple files a trademark, Pinduo Duo surges, and Netflix considering a pricing change. We begin today with the tech stocks getting crushed once again. The Nasdaq is down by more than a percent following hawkish comments from the Fed Friday. Guys, we are right around session lows, only six points off of it for the Nasdaq. And, you know, on Friday, Carlino, you were off. The markets actually rallied for a brief moment, as you know, right after that hawkish speech. Um, and there was this thought that maybe markets had come into more alignment with the Fed speech right after. But there's room to go. And the question is, how much more does it have to do? we got a big week of earnings, too, that will give us some direction. And, of course, the jobs report on Friday. Maybe some of this is just catching up. I mean, the Fed officials were trying for a long time, it seemed, to talk the markets down. Yeah. And it wasn't working at all. Remember, Mary, D- Mary Daly even talked to me about it. And you know at that point, right? <laughs> like, when we're not just talking to the economics reporters. You're talking to the, the tech anchors as well. You're really trying to get a message out there. But seriously, um, we're going to get some more data this week that I think will be interesting from some growth-oriented names. CrowdStrike, we saw how Palo Alto Networks mm-hmm. did. Here's another uh, big grower in security. Uh, and also PagerDuty, HashiCorp. MongoDB, those are all software names that are sort of in that DevOps space. You want, they're small enough that they could still be seeing healthy demand, even if the overall macro picture mm-hmm. isn't great. And you sort of need that good news from the growth names, right? Yep. Best Buy, Lulu, get a little touch of the consumer as well. And then Pisani was mentioning some of the conferences that are going to kick off yeah. after Labor Day. That was actually one of the cautionary notes this summer is that wait till conference season, then you're going to get a lot of the uh, some argue worrisome color that you didn't get after earnings. And this was supposed to be, what was it called, the confessional quarter, right? You saw that from some, like a CRM, a Salesforce, saying, hold on a second, maybe contracts are being pulled out a little bit. So that conference season, I know, guys, we're actually going to be together again at a few of them, um, will be really critical because that's when we hear from CEOs post-earnings season when a lot has actually changed or hasn't. How much has changed? I think, though, there's only a limited amount of information you're even going to get from these conferences because in Q4 there's this big question, and we're going to hear it. You were mentioning retail, Carl, uh, the inventories. We saw from Macy's, from Nordstrom, from others, this buildup in inventory that they're having to discount. They've got to figure out how much to bring in for holiday, even as segments of the consumer market are showing a loss in stamina. How they navigate that in Q4 is going to have a lot to say for where we end up. Tricky. Yeah. Well, for more now, let's get to Dom Chu on this market action this morning, which has been something. Dom? So, so, I mean, to to your point, John, Carl, Deirdre, some of the themes that traders are talking about right now have to do with the overall 
kind of macro or bigger picture, especially for these technology-oriented indices like the NASDAQ Composite. If you look at the 12,016 level that we're at right now, hovering just above the lows of the session, the, the level that a lot of traders are watching is just below there, 11,970. And the reason why is because that represents that 50-day moving average or 50-day price on a rolling basis on average. That's something to watch. If we can hold that, maybe some shorter-term support if we break through there, who knows? But again, from the record highs that we saw in the fall, we are now down roughly 26% from those levels, but still up about 14% from the lows that we saw over the last couple of months. So we're not towards those lows significantly yet, but the the fear of a retest is what's driving a lot of the action today. Now, if you take a look at some of the industry groups within technology, that are on a relative basis making some moves here. Semiconductors off 1.5%, the real relative laggard on the trade so far today. Meanwhile, cybersecurity down about 1%, cloud computing down about 1%, same thing for financial technology, but it's the internet names down 1% as well that are catching some attention right now, just given some of those moves that we were seeing in communication services. Within that trade, mega cap technology, always a big factor, big weightings there. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and Tesla all down roughly 1% to 2% on the trade so far. But I will point out for Apple, this is an important thing to watch here, down 2%. We saw a little bit more of that slide towards session lows as Apple started to break below its 200-day average price. Let's show you a one-year chart of Apple right now. As we move lower here, keep an eye on that $160 level thereabouts there's the 200-day moving average. If we do kind of hold there, it might be a good sign for some of the bulls. But Carl, as you know, for many traders, as goes Apple, as goes the rest of the market, both for the Dow and the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, all three of them a big part of that. Yeah, man, it has been such a general. Thanks, Dom. Uh, Dominic Chu. Let's stay on this market volatility. The Russell 1000 growth ETF down nearly 4% on Friday. It broke a two-day win streak, notched its worst daily performance since June. What does that all mean for the growth trade? Joining us today, CNBC contributor Delano Sapporu of New Street. Delano, how are you feeling after Friday? And is there a sense that uh, if there is going to be some selling, it could be, some, it could be long-lasting? Carl, thanks for having me, and great to see you guys all back together. Uh, uh, you know, Friday was, you know, interesting because obviously we had the the comments from uh, uh, Fed Chair Powell, and obviously the comments were direct and short, and they said we have more to go with raising rates. And I think the market wasn't expecting some of that, and that's why we saw such a drastic drop, right? And so you, you look at it, we still have projections, you know, that were suggesting that rates were going to rise, you know, just below that 4% through the end of 2023. And so historically, you know, loosening policy early um, has never been a good thing. And so I think this is the right move. Um, and I think the market was a little bit surprised by that. I think for the folks that are in these growth names, we've always talked about the volatility that's going to remain in the short term. And I think that's still there. Now, I think the overreaction on the other side would be to you know abandon these names. I think that's the wrong thing to do, um, especially in this time where you're seeing valuations re-rate, uh, different things going on in the market. Um, but that volatility uh, is going to remain for, for the near term. And that's something that you know growth investors have to expect. So in terms of sectors, if, if prices retrench, What's at the top of the shopping list? You know, for, for us and for me, I still like and We were just talking about apples, how Apple goes, the market goes. I still like mega cap tech. And I, I always mention that. And 
part of the reasons why is one, you have that insulation, you have companies that are actually earning, you have companies that in some cases are providing a dividend yield, and you have companies that in, in a lot of cases are are cannibalizing, you know, other air, other industries. So, you know, if we're looking at how tech is playing in cloud and and different things, and obviously Apple with you know their services growing, that's an area that I want to be involved in and still hold. So if you look at all the big names you have on the chart, those are areas for investors to look at if those revaluated re retrenches go to further levels where they can actually buy with some of the cash they're holding that have not bid yet. These are some areas that, you know, where, for me, I feel safer to look at in this sort of environment. Okay, controversial question for you. Do you actually buy dips in growth at this point? I'm looking at, uh, you know, three months. MongoDB is up more than 30% in three months. Snowflake's up 40. Um, you know, Bill.com is up 30 in three months. And we've had this private equity sort of put in growth for a lot of these names. Um, you know, so if, if these names dip as investors get freaked out about rates going forward, is there value to be had here if you're a long-term investor? Yes, John, I think 100% there is value to be had here. So, you know, a lot of the names you mentioned, they're, they're going to have more volatility attached to them. Um, their valuations are going to fluctuate a lot more. But again, it wouldn't be a great time to try too hard to time these areas. I think for a lot of younger investors and longer term investors, some of them are dollar cost averaging. Some of them are trying to time the market and hit exactly bottom, which is obviously a very hard thing to do for a lot of investors. But I do think, as you mentioned, there is some value to be gained here for the longer term investors that are looking out further. Obviously, we know with higher rates, the valuations for tech and for growth will lower. But if you're looking out further, if you're projecting out a little bit further, understanding what you want to do with your cash, these are opportunities for, for in those names. Delano, your point of view, though, seems to be more in line with the retail investors versus the institutional investor, which has become pretty bearish on the QQQ, rose to 14 percent of the free float of that index over the past 30 days. What is the so-called smart money seeing that maybe retail investors are not? You know, I think, you know, some of the smart money is looking at the environment and looking at the commentary, you know, obviously they say don't fight the Fed. I, I don't think they're trading just on the Fed commentary, but I think a lot of them are seeing that the risk off is, is the play over the last, obviously, just couple of days. We did have a bounce since mid-June, um, right? And that was, you know, a, a sizable bounce and a fast one, which obviously, you know, could scare some some institutional investors because it was a little bit too fast in the way we were moving um, since mid-June. So I think they're looking at What's to come? Earnings are falling a little bit. If you look at how earnings, um, you know, P ratio for 2022 has risen. But if you look at where earnings are going, uh, we're re-rating earnings lower for the rest of 2022 and dropping a little bit for 2023. So I think some of that has to come into play for valuations. But, you know, for, for some of the retail investors, they are looking out a little bit further. And I think that's an opportunity uh, for retail investors to maybe find stocks that will bottom at some point if you're looking at the next six to eight months. Hey, finally, Delano, as we move into fall, I mean, it's going to be a time for some product introductions. We're obviously keeping our eye on Apple. There were some headlines today about the AR, VR headset. Is the market in a mood to receive new product and get excited about it, or is the Fed just an overwhelming force? I think, you know, the market is, I don't think they're in a move to receive that just yet. And since those are going to be longer shots. And these, you know, obviously these areas of, of technology, there are longer bets for a lot of these companies with so much cash. Um, to see the, the commercialization of it, to see how the adoption will take longer time. And I don't think it's going to be a market mover and, and anything to move the needle just right now. Obviously be flashy, obviously be good to see for, 
for you know consumers. But um, as far as moving the market needle, that's just not going to get it done right now. Right. Yeah. Well, certainly the the Fed gets a lot more oxygen. That's for sure. Uh, Delano, thanks for helping us this morning. Good to see you again. Delano, thank you, Carl. Quick programming note as we had to break Tech Check. We'll be coming to you live from Vox Media's Code Conference next week. Hear more on how the CEOs of Apple, Google, Amazon, Disney, and even more are handling the volatility along with where you should be putting your money to work. That's all happening here on Tech Check starting Monday. First, though, we've got more on today's biggest movers, how to play the tech pressure. The Nasdaq falls yet again, breaking that 12,000 level. Tech Check is just getting started. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Let's get a gut check on e-commerce. Baird saying they still see a path to double-digit e-commerce growth for the year, forecasting an above-consensus estimate of 10% growth. Some winners from the trend? Well, Baird likes Amazon and eBay, saying these marketplaces are well-positioned in the current macro situation. Names like PayPal, Interest, and Alibaba benefit, too, as spending normalizes, they say, through 2023. D, we'll see. Yeah, some... some and, uh Analysts actually calling some of those names um, value stocks, even like a PayPal, which has fallen so far. A big holiday between now and then. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Amazon, could healthcare become part of your prime membership? Our next guest thinks so, saying he sees the potential for the company to bundle its pharmacy business and virtual care into the subscription. Joining us now, Bernstein analyst Lance Wilkes. Lance, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. What are Amazon's ambitions here? Remember Haven? This was the JV between Amazon, Berkshire, JP Morgan. That was unsuccessful, but now Amazon seems to be on a bit of a shopping spree. What do you think its major ambitions are here? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I think I think Haven and some of the Amazon Care internal initiatives were really them getting their feet wet and learning more about the business. I think what you're seeing now is an effort to really get a position in the market probably related to reinventing care delivery in an integrated approach where you're taking convenient locations, digital and virtual care, and probably home care, bundling those together with online pharmacy. That could allow them to go further in the market, but as a standalone disruption, I think that'd be really substantial as well. It's a long way from here to that standalone disruption, though, Lance. This is a really, really tough space. I also noticed that your note didn't really make mention of Alphabet, which has a whole life sciences unit. Where are they here? Do you think that there's opportunity for them to get interested in some M&A? Yeah, you know, in, in my most recent note, I, I 
tried to lay out a few different approaches that companies could take to um, disrupting in this space. So a traditional approach that maybe United Healthcare is taking where they're buying practices, they're converting to value-based care, they're adding some of these features. CVS that might be taking like an alternative value-based care approach. So still really focused on taking risk in the space, but leveraging their retail locations, getting into digital and home care. Amazon, as I mentioned, you know, more a consumer-centric approach. I think some of the big tech players could focus on what I'd call digital enablement. That might be focusing on connectivity in the space, artificial intelligence, maybe ultimately automation of care delivery, and then weaving that together with data sources like remote monitoring. I, I would see that as very um, supplemental and, and foundational to some of the other initiatives in the um, field, as opposed to being directly in conflict with what like CVS or Amazon might be doing. But Lance, isn't this really expensive? It seems like if Amazon wanted to take the telemedicine-only route, they wouldn't have shut down the unit that they just did. They're buying into one medical. If their approach is that you need to have both brick and mortar and you know physical doctor presence along with telemedicine, that's a big infrastructure investment that investors are going to have to brace for, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is a, a you know a big investment that you'd be making. I think some of them can be very platform oriented, and so you know the thought that they could ultimately go after. Uh, obviously, they're in talks or, or reported to be looking at home-based assets like Signify Health now. I think they would likely look at acquiring um, further digital assets, maybe more um, care automation or assets that would allow for not just telemedicine, but automated care to, to supplement what they're doing with the clinics. The rollout of the clinics is a big thing. And that's something that's hit on Oak Street Health and other names as far as the pressure as you build clinic after clinic, because you really have all the staff and you don't have any patients day one. So it definitely is an earnings drag. I wonder, to the degree they're trying to turn this into a flywheel, making public health part of the Amazon experience, is that something that you think fits better with one geographic region? Is it, is it more of an American habit or is this, is this gonna apply in Europe and Asia, anywhere else? You know, I, I, think the, um, I think the approach that Amazon could be taking here could apply to other markets. And I think this, this really gets into reinventing care delivery from what has been physician practices where you, where you go to a physician office for years and years um, to something that is different and presumably better. And the reason it would ideally be better is because a lot of the, the drop-off in healthcare in the U.S. and elsewhere is because patients aren't compliant because it is difficult to get in there. It is difficult to continue on. So that, that's the real opportunity that an Amazon or a CVS really has here. And so that is a universal sort of issue. Some of the things in value-based care and risk-taking, that might be more U.S.-centric, but I think the Amazon approach could be, um, could be international in, in approach. And finally, Lance, I'm just wondering, where do you stand on telemedicine as an acquisition target or otherwise? Where does that leave the teledocs of the world? Has it become too commoditized? Yeah, I think telemedicine as a, as a standalone play is very commoditized and, and isn't that attractive. I think that um, the capabilities within some of those and the ability to transition that from telemedicine to digital first care, where your doctor is actually on there, and that is a, a practice, is an opportunity for a teledoc. That certainly would be an opportunity for somebody like an Amazon. I certainly expect that you'll see more acquisition activity from Amazon and, and other players in the space in the digital and, and telehealth space, but it won't be for traditional telemedicine. It will be for something that is um, either a, an ongoing practice mm -hmm. relationship or digital. Right. Well, big tech has the cash to do so. Lance, thanks so much for being with us today. Lance Wilkes.
No pain, no gain, according to our next guest. Why he says the market is set up for a bull run, even as the Nasdaq loses all of its gains for August. That's coming up after the break. Don't go away. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa here together on the East Coast this morning, along with Julia Borson out west. Checking in on things half past the hour. We'll get on more on software in just a moment, but the Dow swirling around a mostly negative range. Session low down about 300, currently down 187. Uh, investors are trying to find a bottom for tech, having a hard time as the Nasdaq continues to fall after Jackson Hole on Friday. Mike Santoli has been watching. Mike, we were told uh, look out for uh, withering liquidity next few weeks. Yeah, that's certainly part of the story, uh, Carl, both last week and this week. And, and just the general sense out there that if the Fed chair does not want investors to get too comfortable about the outlook, uh, then they're going to listen eventually. I do think there's a legitimate debate that's happening in the last few days about just exactly how much was new in what Powell told the markets. The bond market kind of looked at it and said, we more or less have that priced right. Uh, yes, the dollar is strong today, but it's not necessarily uh, talking about it being a real jolt. It's more just an expectation that we're going to have have to get to a certain point in rates and leave them there. Now, I think the good part of it, maybe a little bit of a fallback, is the idea that it won't take much to get this market back in that mode of being excessively pessimistic uh, and maybe even getting oversold in a hurry. Uh, we got down there pretty deep in June. I'm not sure we'd need to get to those same levels to generate those, that, that same kind of contrarian negativity. Now, can tech ultimately at some point assert itself as a more defensive Group and you kind of fall back on the idea that you have more earnings predictability and all the rest of it. I'd be look at something, looking at something like Alphabet, which is you know it hasn't been this inexpensive relative to the S and P 500 in about six or seven or eight years. Uh, but the, the numbers are coming down in terms of earnings forecast for Alphabet. I'd love it if 49 out of 50 analysts didn't have buy ratings on it. But I think that's the kind of stock that ultimately you might be able to say uh, is going to show uh, that it has an earnings resiliency and therefore be a, a, a recipient of a flow of rotational funds into it. It's not happening yet, though. Aside from Apple, it's really being seen as tech is being seen as the big stuff in the index that got yeah. too expensive and still isn't cheap. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about, Mike. You've got Alphabet, which has come down a lot. It's been plagued by those macro worries. But Alphabet, uh, Apple, rather, um, it wasn't long ago that we were talking about it being close to new all-time highs. That has been a place for investors to hide out. Today, though, it's one of the top laggards on the NASDAQ 100. Dom was saying to watch out for the 160 level. Um, and as Apple goes, so do the markets largely. Yes, certainly in terms of the index influence, that is what happens. But Apple also tends to go on these streaks of outperformance that it then has to kind of give back some of. Um, and it was really acting no, like nothing so much as a consumer staple stock for the first several months uh, of this year and, and really into the recent highs. And so that's why it sort of has its own character as opposed to, to me, being uh, illustrative of what's happening more broadly in technology. Mike, what's getting sold, say, on Friday and, and when investors are selling? Has the character of it changed? I mean, we saw the big washout in growth tech in particular. 
uh, over the past few months. But it feels like some of those stocks uh, have come back and shown some strength and some other stuff might be selling off. Yeah, John, I mean, the hyper growth stuff that really peaked, it's a year and a half now, really, since a lot of that stuff peaked. That isn't, to me, the, 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 the tip of the spear in terms of new selling on Friday. Really, it was cyclical stocks. First of all, it was overwhelmingly negative. So you had, I think, 14 to 1 negative to positive uh, breath. So pretty much everything was getting sold. But in terms of what was most pronounced, it was the stuff tied to the economy. Because I think, basically, if, if, if the Fed chair is suggesting that a recession is the tool and not just perhaps uh, the unfortunate result of what they're doing uh, toward inflation, then that's that's what's going to hurt. Yeah, it reminds me of the minutes that we got not last month, maybe the month prior, Mike, where they talked about the possibility of gas prices reversing to the upside. And this morning at 96 and change, that would be the highest for Texas since July 29th. Right, exactly. I mean, they're going to take nothing for granted that they're going to get more help on the commodity side. I do think you can also, though, look at that as a potential positive, which is to say that Powell would sound exactly the same as he did on Friday if he really believed that inflation was going to trend in their direction lower. Uh, He just couldn't anticipate that and couldn't get the markets comfortable with that idea before you actually see the evidence. So I don't think that he didn't have any special information Friday. Uh, He's hoping to get lucky on inflation just like the rest of us, but he's just not going to promise that. (laughs) Mike Santoli, thank you. And uh, now let's get to a news update. Contessa Brewer has that for us. Contessa. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. The Justice Department has found what it calls a limited set of materials that potentially contain attorney-client privileged information among the items it found at Mar-a-Lago. In a court filing this morning, the DOJ says it's following a procedure it set up to resolve any disputes with Donald Trump's lawyers over what is privileged and what isn't. Trump's side wants the judge to appoint someone outside the government to make those determinations. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp will have to testify before a grand jury looking into efforts by Trump and his allies to reverse President Biden's 2020 election win in the state. But that won't happen until after Election Day, as this morning a judge accepted Kemp's argument that appearing now would have political implications. And Beto O'Rourke is off the campaign trail in Texas. His challenge to Republican Governor Greg Abbott's on hold after the Democrat was hospitalized over the weekend for a bacterial infection. O'Rourke says he'll be back on the road as soon as he can. Guys, back to you. Contessa, thanks. Our next guest argues that earlier this month, software was the buy of the year going into August. But given Friday's sell-off, that sector has dropped even further. The IGV ETF down roughly 2.5% since August 1st, leaving some wondering, have we reached a bottom yet? Joining us this morning is Evercore's Rich Ross. Walk us through some charts, Rich. It's great to have you. Uh, let's start uh, with software. If you're looking at, uh, at the IGV, what is it telling you right now? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Carl. Well, it's telling me what much of tech and and markets more broadly are telling us that after a very promising rally by lows, we've fallen back into that pattern, uh, certainly exacerbated by the the Jackson Hole comments. Uh, But what we see now is an ETF, if you will, and a sector ETF that's struggling to hold on to support here around that 50-day moving average. But our contention is, Carl, that software will find its footing and that that breakout that you saw in July, that surge, was really sort of a preview into the future of what we will expect this fall. And I don't view the recent weakness post-Jackson Hole and going into to the event as sort of a prelude to a bigger retest of the lows. Do you think, is that view getting ratified by the Sox or the Qs or ARC? 
or or, or crypto or anything else? <laughs> you could keep going, Carl, and just keep naming <laughs> stocks and sectors because we do see a lot of technical symmetry out there, unfortunately, for the bulls. Uh, again, it's that classic setup where we know we've had that bear market decline 30 to 70 percent, depending upon where we look. But then again, June, July, you get that big surge, that textbook reversal off of long-term support from deeply oversold conditions. Our view is that this is a retest of that surge and that we have made the turn. The bottoms are in, but as always, the bottom is a function of time, price, and in this case, volatility, Carl. But Rich, we're about to get a lot of information, aren't we? Because I mean, the holiday season doesn't start with Black Friday anymore. It starts sometime in October. And there are all kinds of questions, yes, about inventory, also about consumer demand, about how much uh, you know, of this is going to come from e-commerce. We'll be looking at data, including Adobe's and others, about what they expect for the season. Won't that have a big impact on how software fares? Yeah, no, no question about it. But I think what we're starting to see in the charts is that price tends to discount the fundamentals that are to come. And I think across the board, I don't want to say every stock, but in many cases, the stocks that matter, you're starting to see the constructive signs in the technicals that would suggest that the fundamentals coming down the road will arc in the right direction. And I think you can see that by virtue of some of these breaks of those well-defined downtrends that had defined the bear market. Some of these very constructive basis in stocks like Intuit. You take the recent surge in a huge consumer stock like Amazon, a huge consumer stock, the hugest consumer stock <laughs> in Amazon. It had done something it only did one other time, going back to the depths of the financial crisis, but yet it's not the financial crisis, which tells me you want to be a buyer of Amazon and that the consumer can do just fine. Rich, what about Chinese tech? Um, the KWeb ETF, one of the only ones that is up today, and Pinduoduo shares, they are surging. Maybe this thought that perhaps it had bottom what are the charts telling you, especially yeah, about I really risk like appetite? Yeah, I like where you're going with that one. Look, we know China is a, a market that beats to its own drum. And, and in this case, it had led us lower, like much of the longer duration, more speculative assets uh, peaking in January, February of last year, as Mike Santoli alluded to. Uh, but again, challenging the 32 level on the PGJ, that's the Golden Dragon Internet ETF led by stocks like Pinduo Duo. Also, Alibaba getting back on its high horse, trying to challenge that 200 day. I think better days are ahead for China Internet and China more broadly, which should have positive read through for risk appetite more broadly. So going back to the early part of August, finally, uh, when you were looking at charts and and signs were pointing to the mid 4600s, has that been washed out by by Powell's, uh, I guess, framework now? Well, Carl, it certainly hasn't been supported by that framework, but I don't think it's been invalidated either. I think, look, bottoms are designed to throw us off the scent. The market doesn't just say, hey, come on onto the tour bus. We're about to rally 20%. What it typically does is something that it did on Friday, says Rich after it did what it did on Friday. But my point here, Carl, is that the setup is still intact here. Take a stock like a HubSpot on the longer duration side. You look at that surge above that well-defined downtrend, but you're back to a 50-day moving average. I see a lot of technical symmetry across technology and markets more broadly where we are set up, if you can, to buy this retest. I know it takes some temerity, if you will. It takes a little moxie to buy it after you've taken a shot to the gut like we received on Friday, down 4% is still down 4%. But I like what I see here, Carl, to answer your question a little more succinctly. The setup has not been invalidated. That is fascinating. Uh, it's amazing how sometimes uh, that temerity uh, kind of conflicts with sentiment, but that's what makes the market. Uh, Rich, thanks. Good to see you.
Thank you. And moxie. I moxie. love that word. You need some moxie for this market. Still to come, the CEO of Plug Power on the heels of a game-changing deal with Amazon. First, check out the biggest laggards on the S&P. This morning, you can see Bristol-Myers take two interactive monolith power on that chart. Tech Check is back in two. You just saw there Netflix, the only so-called big tech name in the green today. Market cap of more than $100 billion today may have something to do with reports out this morning on the company's new ad-supported tier. Let's get to Julia Borston on that. Could be some hope for some of those like me that are spending a lot on streaming these days. We are all spending a lot on streaming these days, and Netflix is considering pricing its upcoming ad-supported tier at between $7 and $9 a month. This is according to a new report out from Bloomberg. Now, the company's reportedly on track to launch this service, which would be about half the cost of Netflix's most popular ad-free plan in the final quarter of the year in a handful of markets with a full rollout next year. Now, Netflix won't comment on the report, but tells us, quote, we are still in the early days of deciding how to launch a lower-priced ad-supported tier, and no decisions have been made, so this is all speculation at this point. Guggenheim Partners, Michael Morris, he tells us that this price point would be above what they had initially modeled. They are estimating that Netflix will get $3.72 in monthly ad revenue per domestic member in 2023, which could grow to about $10 in 2026. That would give a boost to the bottom line above the current most popular tier, whose retail price is $15.49 per month. The question, though, is how many new subscribers Netflix could draw at this lower cost price with those ads, of course, sold by Microsoft and how many current subscribers could downgrade to the lower tier. Now, consumers will be comparing Netflix's new offering to HBO Max's ad supported version that costs $10 a month. Plus, Disney Plus, its ad supported version is launching at $8 a month in December. Peacock has a free version plus a $5 option with limited ads. Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus, their ad options are both $5 a month. So the other question to watch, though, is the ad experience for consumers. Netflix is reportedly looking at about four minutes of ads per hour. That's in line with Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, and Peacock. They promise to show not more than five minutes per hour. So, guys, it's going to be interesting to watch. And I just have to flag, today is the 25th anniversary of the founding of Netflix. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, quarter century. That's uh, impressive. How much does this really matter, though, Julia? Because uh, for a long time, Netflix was pointing to international as being the real growth engine. And even if you grow a bit domestically by offering a cheaper service that's ad-supported, is there really growth there when you're already selling the international version for less and ads don't yield you as much in a lot of those markets? Well, I wouldn't underestimate how important this domestic service is, John, because, look, not only do they want to grow the number of subscribers they have here, but remember that Netflix is facing more competition domestically and in the more crowded markets, such as Europe, um, you know, Canada, some of these other um, more crowded markets. They're facing more competition than ever. So it's not just about growing the number of subscribers. It's about holding on to subscribers when people are trying to cut back on the number of services they pay for. As Deirdre just mentioned, if people want to 
spend less, you want to make sure that they don't ditch Netflix and go over to Disney. Plus, you want to make sure that they have another lower cost option. So a lot of this, I think, is really about maintaining those subscribers and perhaps generating more revenue from subscribers who are actually paying less. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, we got the Emmys coming up, Julia, and we always say, oh, the awards, do they really make a difference? But you could argue that now, when churn is more of a challenge and and, uh, revenue per user is a challenge, uh, that uh, some of these free marketing things like award shows are going to count more. Yeah, the Emmys matter, and I would say all of these awards show matter for these for these streamers and for the media companies because it helps them draw and retain top talent. It's not just about the free advertising. They want to show content creators, if you work with us, we're not going to just get you an audience. We're going to get you critical acclaim. And, of course, content creators love to win those big awards. And so having, uh, having a lot of that attention would be a win for Netflix, not just in terms of getting their shows in front of the people who are watching the award shows, but reminding content creators that they want to come work for them. And there are more options there now than yeah. ever. If you're a content creator, you you know, you have plenty of choices yeah. of where you're going to go to. And bragging rights. Uh, Julia, thank you. VMAs were last night. Were you watching? <laughs> I, I was going to ask Speaking if you of did. did. you stay up late? I just want to point out, they were in New Jersey, in Newark. So this is a big week for New- VMAs in Jersey, Carl in Jersey, Deirdre in Jersey. <laughs> Come on, not in that big, order either. And a big night for Taylor Swift in Jersey. Amazing. Can't her. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. Check out Pinduoduo, Duel, one of the rare bright spots in today's market. Find out why after the break. We're right back. Let's get a gut check. Shares of Pinduoduo surging this morning after posting a beat in their latest results, driven by recovering consumer confidence through the latter part of Q2. Pinduoduo delivering on those numbers on the heels of the worst quarter of growth on record for Chinese tech. Names like Tencent posting sales declines. Alibaba seeing flat year-on-year quarterly revenue growth for the first time ever. Carl, we're going to get Baidu tonight. We're going to talk about that on the exchange because they got me working while I'm out here in New Jersey. <laughs> Might as well, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth it. Uh, make it count. Meantime, the Nasdaq is off its lows, but still down more than a percent. We got some more market action after the break. Don't go away. We talked about Amazon's healthcare ambitions. What about its energy plans? The company striking a green hydrogen deal with fuel cell maker Plug Power, taking a step closer to a 2040 net zero carbon commitment. Plug shares jumped on the news and joining us to discuss the deal and the business, Plug Power CEO Andrew Marsh. Andrew, welcome. Um, what does this, I mean, you guys have been public for a long time. People might think this is a newfangled <laughs> power focus, but you guys um, are, are older than the millennium. Um, what does this do for your model if you're able to do these kinds of deals with larger customers? Well, first, uh, we've been doing deals with Amazon for much longer than uh, this deal, Kevin. Uh, Robert, we've been doing deals since 2017 with Amazon. They already have 15,000 of our fuel cells. And today, and this is really the reason, one of the reasons they did the deal, Plug is building the first green hydrogen network across the United States with the ability to generate over 500 tons of green hydrogen per day, which is like 200,000 tons uh, every over a year period. That's why 
Amazon did the deal with Plug because we have been the leaders. I mean, we've grown, you know, just to give you so, a feel, revenues grown four or five times over the last three, four years. There's a big expectation that your revenue is going to really ramp in the second half of this year. How is that shaking up, uh, especially given the economic turbulence? How is that affecting things like uh, hydrogen supply and your ability to deliver? So, you know, first, uh, let me be clear, Robert, uh, you know, we, our electrolyzer business, which is well supported uh, by the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as our business for electrolyzers in Europe, which provides an alternative to Russian oil by creating green hydrogen, we see that market exploding the second half of the year. And couple that with continual growth in our traditional businesses. So, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of the demand side is there for plug products. Obviously, we work every day uh, to ensure ourselves that we have the components that meet our customers' needs. And I think during COVID, we proved we were one of the few companies that met our revenue numbers mm -hmm. that we projected earlier in the year. Hey, Andrew, it's Deirdre. Um, you know, there's also validation in a partner like Amazon, um, but some investors may be wondering at what cost. You said this isn't your first deal. You had one in 2017, um, but because of the accompanying warrants, it actually ended up costing you, and you guys are expected to burn about a billion dollars of cash this year. So what are you giving up? Um, how are you viewing profitability? How did those negotiations go? Yeah. So let me take a step back. Uh, the partnership with Amazon and the warrants before, our stock is up 25 times since that time frame. So if it does as well this time, I'll be quite happy. From a profitability point of view, we've been really clear that the Inflation Reduction Act actually moved up our profitability six months into early 2024. And we're, we feel that uh, with business like customers we like Amazon, we're on target for $3 billion in 2025 at healthy gross margins. All right, uh, Andrew, it's been John Fort, Carl Quintanilla, and Deirdre Bosa. Happy to talk to you. Uh, Andrew from Plug Power, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Meantime, Bitcoin falling alongside markets well off the lows this morning, but hitting levels we've not really seen since July overnight, uh, briefly down to 19.5. We'll talk a bit about that, get some more on Apple after the break as well when Tech Check comes back. Welcome back. Market's been red for most of the morning. Currently, somewhere in between the uh, highs and lows of the session, we were down 300 plus on the Dow. Uh, but that's a decline of about a third of a percent, of course, coming off of the route on Friday, D. You know, the Bears had been making the case that you're going to wrap up August. You're going to move into some dangerous seasonals in September. Liquidity might be an issue. QT might be an issue. Uh, certainly, uh, the Bears are going to continue to latch on to some of those narratives that uh, the sledding will get tougher, at least in the short term. Yeah, and before we know it, we'll have a new earnings season coming up. This was supposed to be that confessional quarter. We'll see what still is left to drop, that other shoe that is. One more thing before we go, guys. Apple entering a new reality. The tech giant reportedly filing trademarks related to its upcoming VR headset, including Reality One, Reality Pro, Reality Processor. Apple is aiming to release the headset sometime next year. Competition, as you well know, it is steep in this space. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg revealing last week that the company is planning to release their next-gen headset in October. 
First up on the horizon for Apple, though, of course, is the latest product event next Wednesday. That'll be big. Um, John, are you upset? You haven't heard about the metaverse here yet in Apple's? <laughs> Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I know Kevin's excited about it. I don't know. I'm not as excited as Kevin or Robert. But I will say we don't know if Apple's actually coming out with the VR uh, headset at all, let alone next year, though the signs are pointing in that direction. It could be the latest Apple television, right? The thing that was supposed to happen, but they didn't quite pull the trigger on. Um, Carl, it's, it's going to be an interesting announcement uh, next week, though. People tend to say, oh, you know, iPhone, who cares? It's, it's incremental. They've been saying that for eight or nine years. It's still like the most popular high margin, high dollar consumer product like, in the world. Yeah, I think it's Webbush today, uh, D, that says the launch of the 14 is going to be pivotal given uh, the weakening economy. And, of course, next week as well, Cook, Ive, uh, Lorene Powell Jobs on stage talking about, I, I, we can assume, uh, Jobs' legacy uh, at Code. Yeah, he's got a busy week, Cook, it, Cook that is. He's going to be in Code in L.A., then he's going to fly back up to Cupertino, John, um, to release that new iPhone and whatever else we might get. He's very good at time management, though. I think he can do it. Uh, one last thing, Elon Musk taking aim at the Twitter whistleblower, Musk's lawyers issuing a subpoena to Twitter's former security chief, Peter Zatko, per a court filing today. Uh, not aim in a bad way. Uh, I think he, he's looking to get simpatico. Uh, Musk could use Zatko's accusations of false statements and sh security shortcomings at Twitter as part of his attempt to break off his $44 billion bid for the social media giant D. The, the storylines don't completely add up. No. What, uh, what Mudge is alleging and what Elon Musk has been trying to say, but, you know, he has ways of trying to connect dots. I mean, any dots that can be connected will be connected, right? We know that um, whether the judge is going to buy into that is a totally different story. But as we head into the fall, guys, this is going to be another storyline, a very juicy one for us to follow and markets to follow. Yeah, it's, it's stunning, John, sometimes to think about the range of issues he has to consider, right? He just gave this talk in Norway at this energy conference, basically talking about uh, oil and gas exploration, how it has to be maintained, otherwise civilization, in his words, could crumble. And yet, narrowing down to these extremely narrow uh, legal uh, uh, machinations as, as he's in this box. So you you got to give him credit for handling also, both the big and the small. Also good at time management. Yeah, well, uh, and he's managing to populate, repopulate the earth at the same time, which he also sees as a threat to our continuing viability as a, as a planet. So if it's not the energy stuff, it's not enough people, he's working, Carl, on all of it at once. Yeah. Guys, as we wrap up uh, the show, it's been nice to be together at the same desk, at least for a, a brief moment. As for the week ahead, ISM Thursday, obviously Jobs Friday is going to be key as we get to CPI next week. We'll get uh, end, of, end of month calendar issues. And then, of course, pretty good sampling of uh, earnings throughout the week. Broadcom, HP, Lulu, CrowdStrike, Best Buy, Okta, as we continue to watch the markets and what yields do in the wake of Jackson Hole. Let's get over to the judge and the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.